Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, this is rapidly becoming a tradition on the podcast, but <laughs> I owe Brothers War an apology after last week. Last week, you called Time of Death. Are you ready to resuscitate? I'm ready to resuscitate. We got those paddles. We cleared. <laughs> I think this format's got legs. I am glad to hear you say that. You know, I, I it's tough you know, in the content space to come out with the flaming, scalding, hot, firm takes and then become known as the hater of Brothers War and then have to walk it back. And it takes a big man to do so. And I'm, I'm glad to see you do it. I'm also serving my just punishment because as you noted in the Lords of Limited Discord, my DMs are always open for people's bad beats. So everyone's coming into my stream and is like, oh, this format's terrible, right? Oh, so aggressive, right? Bombs, am I right? And I kind of some of that stuff's there, but I don't really think that anymore. So I get people wanting empathy and I, I'm not giving them empathy. So I, I have a stream of folks that are giving me my just desserts. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I was watching you last night a little bit. And finally, after the whole week of Ben sort of like inching towards this, I finally someone came into his chat complaining about the set. So this format's terrible, right? And Ben goes, no, I think this format's good. He used the G word. <laughs> we got the G word. We he got said, the I think, G word. <laughs> I, thought, I thought at best we were going to get the F word, which is fine. <laughs> but we got the G word. We got, nope, this format's good. I think I was wrong. So let's talk about that. What has changed? Because I checked in with you. You know, we recorded our showdown video less than 48 hours ago. <laughs> and I think you were still just using the F word for the format. I was so, still using the F word for the format. So what changed? I have thought about it a lot and I think I have it framed in my head and I think I appreciate it for what it is instead of knocking it for what it is not. And what is it? I think it is a very deep format that has some very strict rules of engagement. So I think what I was initially hating was I understood the rules of engagement and I felt like they were chafing what I want to do. And I think a lot of it is that's there, but there are also tons of sweet things to do. So I think the format's going to have actually a lot of legs later in the format. Once you're not trying to be hyper optimal and win every single draft, I think there's going to be a lot of ways to have fun. And there are a lot of real build arounds, I think, as opposed to SNC, where like almost everything was a trap. There's a lot of sweet stuff to do in this format. Thanks in part due to a lot of really powerful rares, which is cool. Yeah. And I think, as you said, someone asked you, like, would, it, would the format be better or worse without the retro artifacts? And you said worse. And I do think that's true because, you know, for every worm coil engine there is, there's like six very cool niche cards. Like I had a deck with Mesmeric Orb yesterday that was actually good. And that was actually my win con. And I don't think I would have ever thought that that was anything other than an F before. And so there's lots of cool things that the retro artifacts provide for a limited format. Now, if you draft the set 10 times, that's probably not going to matter that much. But for folks like you and me and a lot of our listeners, I do think that that is going to provide a lot of longevity and a lot of replayability for the set. Yeah, for sure. One other thing that was brought up to me this week was uh, Beers SC, who I reference a lot, who's just a fantastic magic player present in our communities on stream and in Discord. He was saying he was trying to work out like, why do I like this format? Why does Ethan like this format? And why is Ben not liking it? This was before the G word came into play. <laughs> and he was like, I think, and as Ben has identified, like the rules of engagement are like how you can engage with the format to win the most, at least initially is pretty clear cut, pretty straightforward, very back to basics. You know, one of Ben's early tweets about the format was, I hope this isn't a bread format in disguise. And as maybe folks are seeing from our episode title, I 
do think for better or worse, that is sort of what it is. It's a bread format with a twist, as we'll get to later in the episode. But I think the sweet things that you can do, much, you know, if we keep referencing SNC, the sweet things that you could do in streets significantly reduced your win rate and your like, you know, the ceiling of the power level of things you could do. The sweet things in this format, I think, only slightly knock you and are still very real contenders to have success and have fun. Yeah, I agree with that take. All right, so let's get into some housekeeping stuff, and then we'll dive into some more thoughts about the format, because I really just want to give us a chance to chat about our thoughts here. So first things first, let's talk about the Patreon page. And I actually just want to talk about the Lords of Limited website in general, where the Patreon page can be found for sure. But lordsoflimited.com has a lot of really great stuff over there. First thing I want to shout out is our tier list, which a lot of folks have been coming into my chat and just going exclamation mark tier list to see it. Lordsoflimited.com slash tier list is where you can find that. And that's our 17 lands tier list. And that is all thanks to Ben. I don't really engage with the, uh, the tier list <laughs> life, but... I know that folks use that as a, a tool for them. You know, if they're diving into their first draft, you know, they don't have time to consume a full set review or even the crash course or whatever. And that's a nice, real easy, quick hits way to engage with the format before diving in to your first draft or so. So there's that for sure. And that will be up to date as of the time that you are listening to this episode. Awesome. And there's also merch over there. You know, we shouted out our new shirt. We've got our Lords of Limited classic logo stuff on tees, baseball tees, hoodies, whatever, stickers, mugs. I'm drinking coffee out of my Lords of Limited mug as I do every time we record the podcast. You can get that stuff over there. We also have a new shirt over there. Our Mad Magicians Against Data. Shout out to Dingus Egg, aka Josh, for designing that for us. That's super awesome. We have that sort of flying off the shelves. I love getting emails from, oh, you have a sale on Public. Love getting that, seeing the Mad shirts selling. I'm excited to get mine in the mail pretty soon. We've got ways to get in touch with us. We got all of our episodes up there. We've got the Lords of Limited MTG Digest, which is our weekly newsletter, which gives you access to, not access to, I mean, this is all stuff that's out there, but just a nice, you know, one-stop shop for a bunch of limited content from the previous week. And of course, our Patreon's over there as well. That's where you can get back to the show. If you find our show helpful, if you want to encourage us and support us and get access to the best 24-7 limited tech support area on the web, that's our Discord. The Patreon page is the place to do that. And so we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. This week, we're welcoming Maku, Marcus, Richard, Larry, Eden, Sergio, Samuel, Austin, Max, Matt, JT, Prof Hubert, William, Sung, Simon, and Dominic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Speaking of which, we cannot say thank you enough to TCG Player, tcgplayer.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Big thing we want to shout out is TCG Player subscriptions, which are $6.99 a month. And they give you free shipping and tracking. So if you're going to be ordering from TCG Player, it's pretty much a no-brainer to avoid shipping. You can also get extra bonus bucks, which is essentially store credit on purchases you make. The big bang for your buck, in our opinion, is CFB Pro articles. We're writing those. Alex is writing those. A bunch of other pros are writing those. We've got articles that just recently went out about Brothers War. So if you want the content that used to be on CFB Pro, CFB Pro subscriptions are done. You need to get on a TCG Player subscription and subscribing to TCG Player will get you access to those current CFP Pro articles as well as the backlog of all the CFP Pro articles we've written before. And maybe you want some sealed product, Brothers War. Anything you do over there that you purchase on the TCG Player website will help our show out. If you go to our affiliate link, lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player, or you can navigate there by just going to lordsoflimited.com and clicking on the support tab. I mean, is there just anything you can't find on lordsoflimited.com? Move over Google. Am I right? (laughs) You're so right. There's a new homepage in town. Okay. Housekeeping out of the way. Talk to me more about this set. Okay, I want to throw a thought at you and get your reaction because I think I know what I don't like about the format and there are a lot of things I do like. I feel like the drafts are very straightforward as far as 
knowing what the pick is out of most packs, but yet somehow, I can't quite reconcile this, but you can draft really sweet decks. But the draft doesn't feel interesting to me along the way to drafting the sweet deck somehow. I gotta I gotta disagree with you, unfortunately. I, that has not been my experience. And I think this boils down to a pick that I saw on your stream last night, which was, I forget what you took first, but then second pick, you had the choice between Astronaut's Harvester, that's the 3-1, two-mana artifact. When it attacks, you exile a card from your opponent's graveyard, and it has Unearth for one and a black. And Staff of Domination. And, you know, I, I think tongue in cheek, someone in chat was like, what would Ethan take here? And you were like, Ethan clearly takes Staff. And I'm not saying that I think taking Ashnaut's Harvester is wrong there. And I haven't played with Staff at all myself, but I have seen quite the scuttle on Twitter about Staff being the real deal. I've seen people go infinite with it already. I'm not even quite sure how that happens. You have to have the Cradle Clear Crutter and then a Giant Growth or something. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Okay, okay, okay. So, I mean, an uncommon and a common for fine, doable, I suppose. But I think if you're going to pass on those cards, then yes, the format will feel prescribed. And I'm not saying, like, I, I'm really not saying that, like, one pick there is right or wrong. I don't have a strong feeling about that. I know what I would do. And you taking Harvester there, I know what you would do. And I'm, again, neither is right or wrong, in my opinion, currently. But I think if you're passing up on those opportunities to be like, hey, I see this card, you know, am I, if I see Sundering Titan, if I see Platinum Angel, whatever, am I going to try and do the Platinum Angel Swift Foot Boots thing? Like if you're passing up on those, yes, I think the format will feel a little staler in the draft portion. Well, and I think three weeks from now, I'm going to be picking Staff of Domination there for sure. But I think even if you pick Staff there, I think your picks the rest of the draft are largely straightforward. Like that is a decision of do I want to try to do something sweet or do I want to do something that's very focused and, you know, on the rails? But straightforward for who? Poll our listeners, even poll, I don't know, poll a lot of Magic players. What does straightforward mean once you take Staff of Domination? That I think due to the large gaps in power level of cards, it is almost always clear to me that the pick is one of two cards. And like all the things we talked about with Dominaria United and the paths that you can take through the draft and how uh -huh. to enable those paths, like that strategic depth in the draft is not there for me in this format. Yeah, I, I think I may be in a, a honeymoon phase as I am often behind you in these kinds of assessments and maybe check in with me in a week if I'm feeling that. But I have currently felt like because, you know, past that as we identified last week, as we'll talk about a little later in this episode, because the power level of the commons drops off so significantly after the top tier and the top tier is largely just all the good removal. I have found it currently interesting to like figure out where the various pieces best fit of like, okay, how can I turn as I was sort of jokingly talked about last week, but how can I turn this C minus into a C or a C plus, you know, trench stalker is a great example of that, right? The four five for five in black that if you've drawn your second card gets death touch and lifelink, you know, obviously, I think that's just like a clear blue black gold card at this point, but in that kind of deck, or can you draft a black red deck where that has you know, merits more than just a clunky five drop filler. I, I don't know. I found that more interesting, I think, than you, it sounds like. Yeah, I agree that all of that stuff is happening. And I've done that stuff, too. But I think by the time you get to that portion of the draft, you already know what you're doing. Because you've got some good cards that are saying, hey, do this thing. And you're not going to move off of those good cards. Like the, the wild pivots or things like that. There's not a ton of opportunities to do that, I don't think, in the format. It happens early I have found as we get to we as we'll get to maybe if we have time for a roundtable at the end of the episode like the times when it's happened to me is 
whatever. I, a couple times this, this week has happened of like, I get a really good white rare, but I don't really want to draft white. And then it's clear to me white isn't open. And I'm like, I sort of breathe a sigh of relief of like, okay, great. I don't have to fight anyone <laughs> for this. I can just gladly move off of this. But I have found that happens within the first four or five picks, honestly. Like there's not... There's not a lot of hashtag delaying the decision in that way. I mean, we'll talk about a little bit when we get to my idea about what the spectrum of this format is. But I agree with you there that there's not a lot of like get deep into one color and then bob and weave a little bit. I think it's slightly different, but I haven't found that to be I don't know if straightforward is how I would describe that. Sure, that's fair. I just think for me, this is how I've framed the format. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't feel like the drafts are personally very interesting for me, but I do think that's what I can't reconcile. I see all the stuff like the sweet decks. And I, I have drafted some sweet brews, but along the way, the picks have been fairly straightforward towards making those sweet brews. And then I think, you know, the strict rules of engagement, and we're going to get into those, coupled with the rares, I do think the rares are a boon to the format. Like, they're a cost of doing business, like sometimes you're going to lose to a worm coil engine or whatever. But I think the variety of rares and sweet cards that let you do a number of different niche strategies like there are a lot of build around cards and a lot of build around engines and a lot of sweet things to do. And I think they do work within the rules of engagement. If you follow the rules, I think all of that is huge pluses for the format. And I'm in on the format. It sounds like I'm down on the format right now. But all I'm really down on is the draft portion, I think. Okay. Have you found that that extends to deck building as well? Because I have often found that and maybe this will become easier once you know we have had experience with what archetypes look like seeing them on the other side of the battlefield seeing them in the lords of limited discord etc but i have found like okay i have 27 cards i could choose from and i have no idea what the correct quote-unquote 23 is or i feel like maybe i have 30 cards to choose from and it's like i could choose i could go deeper into the non-creature spell thing and that means i cut these or well, I want to play Gigamole, but that means I got to get my creature count up to 15 to make that feel like it's not going to fail that much. You know, I've, I've found that tweaking, at least in the deck building portion, to be interesting. Yes, I agree completely. I think the deck building is interesting. It's That's what I can't reconcile. I just don't think the drafts are interesting, but I do think the decks and the deck building and the things the decks can do are all very interesting. I'm confused because you say like, OK, in three weeks, I'll do the Staff of Domination thing, but I've done sweet things. I have. I've crushed my opponents with red green sacrifice. I have. That's just an aggro deck. That's still sweet. But I, I was. I know it's sweet, magnificently but like, explosive. Red green, red based aggro is like clearly a tier stuff to be doing in the format. I'm not talking about the best decks, baby. <laughs> yes, I have not gone as deep into the weeds as you have yet. So I'm saying, like, I think, I think you're underselling the format for. Okay, I have staff of domination. What does that? mean i think that does create an interesting puzzle for you for the three packs okay i hear you all right and with that chat out of the way i just wanted to bounce all that off you because yeah, i was yeah. feeling a lot of things about the format and i came out negative and i still feel like i feel negatively about the format <laughs> after that chat but I, I really don't i do feel good about the format and i'm excited to talk to you about it so we're gonna get into some things that are gonna help you get better at the format yeah so we've got some you know quick hits of the rules of engagement and first things first play to the board you're going to face extremely aggressive opponents. We'll talk about a couple of those key cards. I think the cat's out of the bag a little bit about the red aggressive decks right now. And if you spin your wheels, again, as I was watching Ben's stream last night, he was watching someone who sort of, I think, maybe went like Energy Refractor 2. He even shouted me out in the showdown video this week of like, you're like me during early access, like turn two <laughs> Energy Refractor, turn three Stern Lesson. And if you do that without, you know, the sort of goods to back it up, you're going to fall behind real fast. 
Yeah, and you lose to even mediocre creatures in removal right. if you don't do that. So there are some strict rules of engagement, and I think the first thing is you have to play to the board. Just back to basics, bread, bombs, removal, curve, like limited resources, cab-style decks, cards mm-hmm. that affect the board state. Like that is the basics of the format. Like you have to do that sort of stuff to even get your foot in the door to get a compete in the games. The next rule of engagement is that cheap removal is better than blocking if you want the game to go longer. Much like in streets, there are tons of good tricks to punish blocking. I think specifically Gaia's Gift, the green plus one plus one and keyword soup until end of turn and Whirling Strike. That's the plus two plus oh first strike trample trick. I think those two are the best and very hard to play around. Yeah, but I think they're also just good aggressive creatures. And then things like Disfigure, the single black minus two minus two is irreplaceable if you're trying to get the game to go longer because it's one of the best ways to catch up if you're on the draw. And being on the draw is pretty punishing in the format. Like it definitely dictates how you have to play the game. Yeah, you mentioned on stream yesterday, this this stream is just so full of fodder for me today for our discussion. <laughs> you mentioned on stream yesterday in, in response to someone saying, I think something that I maybe, what, what, do you, what would Ethan do? And you're like, Ethan's not playing best of one. So it sounds like you think there's a big difference. And do, do, slash, do you always think there's a big difference or is there something bro specific that you think is different um, between best of one and best of three? I don't know, because I haven't played best of three three yet so it's hard to say that authoritatively or anything but my gut says that the rules of engagement are amplified in best of one compared to best of three okay yeah i I buy that just because of how good the fast decks are and then best of one i think makes it a little easier to be faster leaner or whatever that sort of thing yeah sure I, i think that's always true so the next rule of engagement we've got here is that you need bombs to want the game to go long So I think if you don't see bombs, like if you're not starting your draft with A's, B pluses, A minuses, your default should be that you want to be hyper aggressive and try to end the game before your opponent's bombs can come into play, because that's one of the ways to beat bombs, right? There is having a removal spell at the right time, but then there's also being so far ahead that even when your opponent sticks the bomb, you still can close out the game in a turn or two before the bomb takes over. Agreed. Yes, I faced Phyrexian Processor the other day, which I, I think is is pretty darn good, but was just able to get under it. Like my opponent almost was able to start doing the thing every turn, but I had applied enough pressure and was able to close out the game that uh, that it didn't stick. I also think, as we'll get to a little bit later, I think if you don't have bombs, I do think engines can be a reason for you to have the game go along, but bombs are a much clearer way to do so. Yeah, I agree with the engines thing too. I think this is a Jund format for me. I I think I currently have the color rankings kind of solidified for me, which is I have black one, red two, green three, but honestly, all three of those I just think are ahead of the pack. Then there's a gap and then blue and then a big gap and then white. And I think the reason I have white so far in last place is that it doesn't play in the artifact space well at all, right? We sort of touched on, like, I was I was sort of poking at this idea last week of, like, well, there's the two-mana two-one that dies into a Power Stone at common. That's a good card, but that's not good for white. Like, Airlift Chaplain, in theory, could be a good card, but I'm, I'm we'll talk about that. I'm pretty down on that card after playing with it this week. But it not being a soldier is such a knock against it. Like, white does a very narrow thing well, I think, which is aggressive soldiers. And if it's not doing that, it's not doing anything super well, or it's not like really helping the deck that much. And it's awkward because none of the other colors, all four of the other colors get to be like, oh, I I can mess with artifacts. White doesn't really. Right. And I think white also has a lot of cards that ask you to do very specific things while not paying you off 
once you meet the requirements of those cards, like something like Warlord's Elite, like the two and a white four four, I think is a build around and is a thing that white wants to do. But if you get an opening hand without a one drop and a two drop, it's just really bad. But then when you do the thing, it's pretty good, but it's all finicky and none of it (laughs) is very consistent for the amount of hoops it's asking you to jump through. Yes. I think the reason I have blue fourth, you know, last week, I think I would have put blue second. I think I'm finally around to the fact that like blue is very good once you have the reasons to play it at higher rarities and it plays well in the artifact space. I think it pairs well with black and red, but I think it needs that higher rarity. Like Stern Lesson is good. Might Stone's animation is good, but I don't think those are enough to be happy about that color. Yeah, I think blue is good. I like blue a little more than that, but I completely agree with your color rankings here. I think I am 100% in line, and we have not talked about this at all before. No, I just put this in the show. You put that in the show, and I have independently come to the same conclusion. There are a lot of good players, I think, that have red number one. I'm not quite ready to do that. I was having this discussion with, again, the aforementioned Beers SC on stream. He's got red number one, but I think it's hard for me to do that because I've been so bred about the drafts where like, Mm. I just take bombs, I take removal, and then I build my deck around whatever's left. And I think the red cards, you have to do a little bit more work in the draft to make the red cards good. Like red, you're drafting a deck and it is a hyper synergy deck and the creatures and the cards are more than the sum of their parts. And it's hard for me to get into that deck because I'm I'm picking cards on raw rate almost 100% of the time in the beginning of the draft. Right. And, and I think black providing overwhelming remorse Power Stone Fracture and Disfigure at common. It's just hard for me to get past that. Plus, I, I plus I think a lot of its creatures are quite strong, like Thraxodemon or the Scrapwork Rager. Like I just think Black provides a lot of cards that are flexible. Whereas, you, as you said, like Red's cards are, are greater than the sum of their parts or whatever, but they're a bit more narrow or niche in terms of their applications. I think. Yes. So here's here's my weird thought that I'm going to run by you. I sort of I sort of outlined this in my article for CFB this week, but I feel like this format is a little bit of a love child between Vow and Neo. So the Vow aspect, Crimson Vow aspect of it is that it's a back to basics format, right? Bread, bombs define the format. They warp your pick orders. Removal is great again. Removal has never been <laughs> so good. Like this is the best it's ever been. I think so. Like since we sort of started poo-pooing removal, I've just never felt so good about like seven, eight, nine removal spells. Like never in my life have I drafted so much removal. So just that that's a real shift for me. And then the Neon Dynasty aspect of it is the spectrum. So remember in Neo, Ben had this awesome idea, awesome framing of Neon Dynasty of the spectrum of red to green, right? Of artifacts mattering to enchantments mattering with black in the middle and white playing more in the space of enchantments and blue playing more in the space of artifacts. And where you landed on that spectrum, I think was sort of indicative of the cards that you wanted. The spectrum that in my mind for this format is from Power Stones, to streamlined. And so there are some decks, I think, in the format that lean really hard into power stones of like, I just make, I I keep calling it rectangles on stream, but it's just like about number of rectangles on the battlefield, cards that make power stones, (laughs) cards that interact with power stones well, whether that's unearth, which is just another rawly powerful thing to do, you know, all the cheap cantripping artifacts that your power stones can cast, etc. The other spectrum being streamlined two color decks, whether that's blue white soldiers or black green self mill or red black steel and sack and those decks don't care about power stones that much and then your decks can it's not that your decks only exist on those two poles but as you're drafting understanding where your deck exists on that spectrum i think will help you focus in on what your deck is doing more yeah that all totally makes sense to me i think i've been doing that without really 
putting it into words like that. So yeah, I'm in. Yeah, that's what writing an article forces you to do is be like, okay, how do you how do you uh, articulate this concept? Yeah. All right. I want to talk about a handful of commons before we get into the greatest thing since sliced bread. We'll get to it in a bit. Okay. Commons to discuss. First up, airlift chaplain. I'm out on this card again. This is the three mana one one flyer in white. This is part of that cycle of mill three. And then this one lets you find a planes or a creature with mana value three or less. Put it into your hand if you want. Otherwise, it's a 2-2 flyer. Neither of these, this is what I felt in Crash Course, just tried to come up on it after seeing it, and then I'm, I'm back off of it. Neither halves of this card is what a white deck wants. Three mana, one, one, draw a card, no. Three mana, two, two flyer, no. And it's not a, a soldier, which is, I think, a big knock against it. I think basically the only card of this cycle that I like is the green one, the Blanchwood Prowler, the two mana, one, one that finds a land. Yeah, the Gigamole, the black one, is also randomly great. Yeah, but that's more like, that's fill, that's filler to me. Like, I'm not mad if that ends up in my deck, I guess, but feels more like a D plus to me. Like, if my deck needs it and I can support it, fine, but I'm never, like, actively interested in it. I mean, when it hits, it's like a C plus B minus. But yeah, there's times you whiff and it doesn't feel great. It also forces you to have an artificially high creature count more than you would want necessarily. But yeah, I agree. Branchwood Potter's great. Airlift Chaplain, garbage. Gix's Caress. This is the three mana discard spell that makes a power stone. Huge point for Ben after talking to him about it last week on the podcast. I think you absolutely nailed this. I have internalized your assessment of this just doesn't affect the board. And I feel great about that. I don't think I've main decked it. I think I maybe maybe main decked it in a control deck, blue black control deck, but otherwise, no, not happy about this card. It's great out of the sideboard in best of three, I would imagine. Yes. It is backbreaking in the control mirrors. And sometimes you get into that. And I do think the format is likely going to evolve and breathe a little bit, right? Like as people become more familiar with the rules of engagement and everybody's trying to jam their curve lower, the aggro decks are going to get worse. Like when you're not wheeling goblin blast runners and all these other sorts of things. And then maybe there's a point where the pendulum tips and it'll be okay, maybe. To, to main deck Gix's Caress, but right now I, I agree it just doesn't affect the board enough. Okay, I'm going to throw a, a curveball at you here, Ben. I've heard you say this a few times this week, which is you think largely folks are going to, like the drafting portion is straightforward and largely folks can just look at 17 lands to figure out how to draft, right? I haven't looked at 17 lands yet if you're getting ready to ask me that question. <laughs> I, I am. I am going to ask you, would you be shocked to find out that the two cards I have already mentioned, Airlift Chaplain and Gix's Caress, are in the top 10 Game and hand win rate cards on 17 lands? <laughs> no, because data's garbage. There we go. Okay. Like the number 12 top performing common right now is military discipline. I'm going to guess that Ben doesn't even know what this card does. I do too, sir. This is white <laughs> flash enchantment. Uh, enchanted creature gets plus one plus O. Oh, and when military discipline enters the battlefield, the equipped creature gets plus one plus O. Oh. No, it gains first strike until end of turn. It gains first strike until end of turn. Wait, wait, wait. I know what it does. You get the points. You get the points. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I, I was like, the other day I looked at this and I saw Scrapwork Mutt was on here. And we can talk about that next, I guess, because I have this on the list. This is the uh, two mana artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you can discard a card if you do draw a card. And it has unearthed for one and a red. Huge mover up for me. It was number one in Game and Hand Win Rate the other day. It's currently sitting at number three. I think it just does a lot of little things well. We'll talk about unearth. Like you're just not taking unearth cards high enough in my mind. Like everything Me? that says no, one is not taking. Oh, unearth I was going to say, sir, Sorry. please. Sorry. I love I unearth. I don't know about you specifically, but like unearth is just so 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 good. It's not quite like disturb, right? It's not quite an actual two for one, 
but it's not not a two for one in a lot of senses. You know, if you can, you again, if we go back to the rectangles portion of things, if you can use that rectangle in some way to sacrifice or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I am perplexed currently by the top ranked commons. Like, there's three white cards in the top ten. Four, I'm sorry, four white cards in the top ten. Okay, I revoke my statement that people can follow 17 lands data because data is terrible. Listen to Lords of Limited and we will tell you which <laughs> cards are good. <laughs> All right, what's up next? Next up is Trench Stalker. Oh my god, I love this card. This might be my pet card in the format. This is four and black for a four or five. And when you draw your second card each turn, it gets Death Touch and Lifelink. Think about that. A five mana four or five Death Touch Lifelink. That's like a rare you can yeah. you can just draft and you get this card whenever you want it. It is always there. But in the blue black decks or decks that have ways to reliably draw to, which there are decks that aren't blue black that fall into that category, this card is excellent if you are trying to like if you're a mid-range deck or your control deck that wants to gain some life to stabilize against the aggro decks. Also, a four or five body is just very large compared to what most people are doing in the format. Right. This is everything I was trying to sell you on that then you sort of like not talk me off of in the crash course, which I think made sense to me at the time, which was like, I was like, four or five so big. And you're like, not in a format with 10 tens, <laughs> but like the 10 tens aren't good. And so four or five is actually pretty darn big in the format. And there are really good aggressive decks. And honestly, just one hit from this, like the fact that there's a common card like this that shuts off aggressive strategies is huge. Yeah, this is my pet card. And I keep wanting to try to put it in text that it doesn't really yeah. belong in. That's how much I like it. Next up, we have Bitter Reunion. Again, shout out to Beers SC for turning me onto this card. This is the enchantment for one and a red. When it enters the battlefield, you can discard a card if you do draw two cards. And then you can pay one to sacrifice it to give all your creatures haste until end of turn. This card's an absolute house. It plays great with Unearth. It plays very well with the next card we're going to talk about here, which is Goblin Blast Runner. And the one mana haste is so relevant in the late game. I had a mono red deck the other day where like on seven mana, I think I went like or six mana. I guess I went like three drop, two drop haste. And it was just like, wait, what? You get to do what? It's so good. Yeah, that card is insane. Shout out to you for putting me onto that card. So uh, ergo, I guess I'm the transitive property of equality. Thank you, Gears SC. <laughs> Indeed. Talk to me about Goblin Blast Runner, baby. It's so good. Single red, one, two. Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, it gets plus two, plus oh, and gains menace until end of turn. This looks like the kind of card that is, well, maybe this is like a D minus, and every once in a while, you're going to get a Goblin Blast Runner deck, like once or twice a format. No, it's like the thing to do in red. I think you could pick this ahead of Penragon Strongbull, I think, depending on how you wanted to draft red decks. I'm not going after it quite that aggressively. I think I'm picking it probably as the third best red common, but it is very potent, especially in tandem with Bitter Reunion. Like just the fact that there's a bunch of stuff in red that are ways to sacrifice things. I've had red green sacrifice. I've had red black sacrifice. I've had red blue sacrifice. There's a lot going on with Goblin Blast Runner. I've had mono red with like three evolving wilds because evolving wilds just triggers this too. Oh, evolving wilds. That card is so good in this format. People, you're just not taking Energy Refractor and Evolving Wilds high enough also. I agree with that. And I am certain you are not directing that at me. <laughs> I am certainly not. No, the, the U's are not Ben's for the next 30 minutes. I just felt like I was on trial for data <laughs> with the first one that you threw out there. You were. A couple of unearthed artifacts. Again, not taking Unearth high enough. Mask of the Jade Crafter and Mishra's Research Desk. Mask is the two-mana artifact you can... Uh, pay X and tap sacrifice it to make an XX colorless artifact golem creature token. And it has unearthed for two and a green. And research desk is the card draw one. Uh, one mana to cast, one mana to tap sack. 
exile the top two cards of your library, choose one, and you get to play it until the end of your next turn with unearth for one and a red. There's just so much synergy. I mean, mask has just, that's just two large monsters. And with bitter reunion, large hasty monsters potentially and more sacrifice synergy with both of those cards which is just unreal and shout out to alex court calls uh he had an underrated thread on twitter and both of those cards were there and i was kind of like i don't know about that alex and then i played with them and i was like whoa alex was way right about these cards yeah i'm trying to i i should i should figure out what i think the worst card with unearth is maybe it's the the onulet the five mana four four when it leads the battlefield gain two and even that is like Fine, but that's just got a knock because it's white. Uh, the next card here is not a card I will be singing its praises of. This is Mishra's Onslaught. This is the three and a red instant. Choose one, make two one one artifact soldier tokens or creatures you control get plus two plus oh until end of turn. I have played mono red a few times and this card is just terror bad. Neither mode is good enough. There's not really a go wide thing for you to take advantage of the plus two plus oh and four mana for two one ones is overcosted. Yeah, I think this is a secret blue-red cold with third path iconoclast, the blue-red uncommon 2-1 that poops out 1-1s, and then this is a way to make all of those into 3-1s and close out the game. I guess, yeah. I don't know. It feels a little bit like playing a bad card to make your great card better, but I, I could see it. So I haven't played it in that that shell, so I guess maybe if I reframe it there. But I, I just thought like, oh, good, aggressive, I don't know, curve topper or something, and it is not that. I thought this was, uh, I thought we were going to talk about Mishra's Domination at first, which is the one in a red aura. Uh, Enchanted creature gets plus two plus two. Otherwise, it can't block if it's an opponent's creature that you put it on. Someone tweeted at me like, what do you think about this card? I've run it and my friend was making fun of me for it. And I replied on Twitter as cards bad. Sorry. Like, I think they were hoping that I was going to tell them it was great so that their friend couldn't dunk on them. But sorry, friend, your friend is going to dunk on you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next up, we've got Scrapwork Cohort. Love this card. It's four mana, three one. When it ETBs, it makes a one one. Then it's got Unearth for two and a white. So again, you're going to get another one one token that stays while you get a three one haste. This is just another glue card. It's a soldier. It's an artifact. And honestly, it's best in not white decks it's best in decks with energy refractor where you can still unearth it but just two artifacts in one card that comes back twice is a lot i think just a click away from the like deck that cares about power zones you know if you think about spectrum is a deck with like a couple energy refractors makes some power stones and then just plays every unearth card it sees i have definitely played like naya unearth where that was my plan. And this made, like this making four rectangles is so huge. Well, and also in that area, you had mentioned that white doesn't play with artifacts very well. I do think the green white artifacts yes. ETBing deck is a way to make white play with artifacts. Well, that deck is super real, especially if you get the mass productions, you can do some stupid things. Yeah, I haven't seen true green white aggro yet with the dissident, but I have splashed that in a number of decks and been very happy with it. Yeah. Next up is Clay Revenant, my boy. Single mana for the one two that comes into play tapped, and you can pay two in a black to return it from your graveyard to your hand. This card is the absolute truth, as we'll talk about when you get to engines in a little bit. It's such an important piece for like almost every like combo. I'm like, well, it's just this card and Clay Revenant. Like again, this the card, the fact that this is just a movable rectangle from zone to zone to zone is very good. The other thing I like about it is that you only ever really want one. Yes. And so everybody that wants one gets it usually, which is very nice. Except for me when Ben <laughs> takes two and puts one in his sideboard. Yeah, that happened in our showdown video. Sorry about that. Next up is Mishra's Juggernaut. Again, more unearth. This is five mana for the five three trample, and it must attack each combat if able and has unearth for five and a red. 
This card is large and in charge a lot of the time and plays so well with Scrapwork Mutt that you, or Bitter Reunion too. Like that's another reason that these rummage effects or looting effects are good with Unearth because then this just sits in your graveyard as like a six mana lava axe at some point. Yeah, Unearth almost plays the way decayed zombie tokens yes, did where you're yes. just like counting up the damage either in your graveyard or your opponent's graveyard and it is depressing and once it hits critical mass, like there's just a turn where you unearth a lot of stuff and swing and the game is probably over. Mm-hmm. Lastly, Energy Refractor. This is two mana for the artifact. ETBs draw a card and you pay two mana to filter it through to make one mana of any color. This card is incredible, which is weird because we're talking about how much you need to affect the board, how much this is a bread format, removal, aggressive, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, I do completely agree with your sentiment, which is that there's a ton of sweet things to do in the format and you only take like a slight dip in win equity to try to do those sweet things. And Energy Refractor is the door to mm-hmm. everything sweet in the format. Even I've had multiple questions about this on stream. Even two color decks want it. It is hard to imagine a deck that isn't fully on that end of the spectrum of streamlined that and even some streamlined decks You don't care about drawing a second card in your turn if you're blue-black. You don't care about an artifact entering the battlefield if you're green-white. You don't care about an artifact to sacrifice if you're red-black. You don't want to splash. I mean, splashing has come up for me quite a bit and probably because partially because I'm drafting Refractor and Evolving Wild so highly. Yes, I agree with all of those things. This card is excellent. This is the most golden of golden eggs. Most golden of... Yeah, we're calling the fight now. Energy Refractor wins in a landslide. Okay, so if this is back to basics format. And we've alluded to this acronym many times this episode already, but we should outline it. Bread. You know, bread is one of the first things you learn. It's the first thing I learned to level up my limited game. I'm sure it was the same for you. you. Though everyone learns the acronym differently, right? Bombs, removal, evasion, I think is what we can all agree on. And then A and D, I like yours the best, abilities, dudes. I, I think I was taught like aggro and then duds or dregs. But whatever you were taught as that acronym, that's like you know, a very simplistic framing for how to prioritize cards in draft. And I do think that largely that's what you're doing in Brothers War. Yeah, I agree. That's part of why I think the drafts are straightforward, because you pick the bombs out of the early packs, then you pick the removal, and then you start to get into like, okay, what am I going to get around these cards that I've already drafted? But I think by and large, if you're struggling in the format and you go back to basics, bread, cabs, again, to borrow from limited resources, those things are going to go a long way for you in the format. Yeah, cabs being cards that affect the board state. And we're going to throw another acronym out to you. If we're putting a little twist on the back to basics, because I don't think it's truly bread and you're done, you know, we'll see see you in a couple months for the next set. I think the twist here is that it's sliced bread. And so what does sliced stand for? For us here. The S is S tier. Get those bombs in your deck. L is for lean, low to the ground, keep that curve low. I is for interaction. Whether you've got removal or combat tricks or bounce, you need to be interacting with your opponent's side of the board. C is for colorless. This is an artifact set, so figuring out how you're engaging with that aspect of it is a huge portion of your success. E is for engines, ways to accrue repeated card advantage, or maybe ways to just put more things on the battlefield, as you keep alluding to, more rectangles, just some repeated advantage that you can generate after the dust settles from the early turns. And D is for decks. At the end of the day, you have to have a cohesive deck to submit for your matches. All right, so let's dive into what each of these is a little more deeply. So S, S tier. I think 
The format isn't necessarily defined by bombs, but there certainly are a lot of them floating around and they do shape what the optimal strategies are in the format. Like if you've got some bombs, you better believe you're going to be playing some blue card draw potentially to try to find those bombs or velocity in your deck to find those bombs. Or maybe you've got recursion. You know, there's a lot of white or black ways to rebuy cards out of your graveyard. There's ways to self mill to find those bombs. So they definitely shape what you do in the draft. But I think ultimately, and I think this is the first time I've had this stance on bombs. I think they are a boon to the format. There's a cost of doing business, as I said earlier in the episode, but by and large, the sheer number of rares that do a wide variety of things, I think is going to lend a lot to the longevity of this format. Well, and they're not stone unbeatable, right? Like, what are the most egregious bombs that you face so far? It's not that they're unbeatable. It's that when you don't have the thing to beat them, the game is just over. Like, Wormcoil Engine's annoying, but if you have the black exile removal, you're fine. Phyrexian Processor's annoying, but a disenchant stops it. Like, I agree, there's a lot of ways to interact with the bombs, and you can just be more aggressive and get underneath them. I certainly think the nine mana sacrifice three creatures one Mm. is pretty egregious. It also costs nine mana. Like, it's hard to be mad about like, well, I did let you get here, you know? Yeah, but there's power stones that make it significantly easier to do that sort of stuff too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I am not. I am not anti-rare. This format. I think it is a, a good thing for the format. I cannot wait to play this soundbite to you over <laughs> and over again. So S tier here does not only refer to bombs, but also this straightforward nature of just draft good cards and do your best to play them. Right. Once you get the S tier cards, and part of what makes this different than Vow is that you know in Vow you had all of the rares were of a color or multicolored, and so they warped your pick orders as the draft progressed. A lot of them in this format are colorless, so you're still you know, you still want to take overwhelming remorse when you see it fifth or excavation explosion when you see it fourth or whatever. Like you want to take those primo removal cards highly and and really do your best to put them in your deck. Yeah, I think there are S tier rares. There's S tier uncommons. There's S tier commons. Yes. Things like Skyfisher Spider, the two black green three oh three that when ETBs, you can sack something to destroy a non-land permanent. When it dies, you have the choice to exile it to gain life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. That card is absurdly powerful like better than a lot of the rares and you can recur it and keep reusing it over and over and over something like third path iconoclast the blue red two one that poops out one one artifacts that's extraordinarily powerful and a way to get into those streamlined synergistic decks if you look at the commons you know we've talked about the rares floating around the commons fight back against the rares and or the aggressive nature of the format pretty hard. There's things like Disfigure, Overwhelming Remorse, Excavation Explosion, like all this good removal or even green like Argothian Opportunist, the 3-2 that makes a Power Stone. Those are S-tier cards in their own way because they interact so well with what the rules of the engagement for the format are. Like Disfigure is a premium card in the format. You can also draft common aggressive decks that are full of synergistic commons that make your deck an S-tier aggro deck. If we're thinking, I think probably top of the heap is the Goblin Blast Runner synergy mono red or near mono red aggro decks with sacrifice sub themes. I think green with Argothian Sprite, it's just a lot of decks. That's a two mana, two, two unblockable that threatens to grow as the game progresses. I think green and red are your best spots for aggro and your best spots for tricks that back up aggro decks, but you don't need higher rarity cards for those decks to be good. You just need to know what the good cards in the set are. Yes, that is certainly true. Someone asked me on stream last night whether I thought this was a Prince or Proper format. And honestly, I think it's 
both. My like, least favorite way to describe a limited format. Well, but I think but I think it is both if we're talking about it and sorry to talk about it if it's your least favorite thing. But that's I fine. Think, I can uh, I can edit this out later. <laughs> a week ago, my answer would have been, yeah, this is stupid. This is a Prince format. But the popper stuff is really good too. And how good the decks are that are popper aggro decks, I think compete with all the Prince aspects of the format. And I think that is a very cool aspect of the format. Yeah, I think just full stop, your win rate is directly related to the quality of cards you put in your deck in this format. Yes, I completely agree. All right, next up, we've got L being lean. If you don't have bombs, and even if you do have bombs, you want your deck to be as lean as possible if you're drafting aggro, but you also just need your curve to be low. This is largely why so many of the prototype cards, in my opinion, fail, is because it's not like I don't have things to do with my mana if I have a low curve. Like there's lots of mana sinks and whatever recursion loops, card draw, blah, blah, blah. It's so hard to justify putting things in your deck where you're like, I'm hoping to spend eight mana on this. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely tough. And I think along with this idea of lean, We've talked about affecting the board, you know, we've alluded to cab several times in this episode, but I think if you're affecting the board early, almost everything in your deck should be trying to do that with the exception of the bombs and the exception of ways to assemble an engine. I found that to be critical and we'll get into engines a little bit later as well. I think L is also just a mantra for me during the draft of lower your curve, partially because of the existence of prototype cards. It is so easy. It's it's easier than normal to fill up your four mana value plus slot so quickly. You know, you think about Scrapwork Cohort and Scrapwork Rager are both cards that I like quite a bit. That's the they're both four mana artifacts. One is the three one that brings along a one one with unearth, and the other one is the two two that draws a card you lose a life, and that also has unearth. Those are both great cards, but like your four drop slot fills up in a hurry. And sure, that can be good, but those, I think, get a knock for just being in that mana value slot. And it gets tighter and tighter as your curve goes up. Well, and you think about those as white or black cards, but if you subscribe to the Ethan and Ben Energy Refractor Evolving Wilds approach to these colorless unearth cards, they're pretty colorless, I think. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had a quote unquote mono red deck the other day, all mountains, but splashing third path iconoclast and Lauren. That's the rare two one ETBs blows up an artifact or enchantment because I had uh, a bunch of the Sardian cliff stompers. That's the red two drop that cares about mountains. I just, you know, mono red's a state of mind, baby. <laughs> I saw that tweet. That made <laughs> me laugh. Unearth costs are a state of mind if you have refractors and evolving wilds. I think another thing that goes along with lean here in the gameplay is that you are incentivized to mulligan aggressively. And I last night I was getting tilted and I stopped being disciplined with my mulligan decisions. I think just a good baseline heuristic for yourself for the format is if you don't have at least a turn three play, you should mulligan. And I think if you're on the draw, you really want a turn two play. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. All right, moving on to the eye of sliced interaction. You have to be able to interact with your opponent's creatures and their artifacts, whether you're aggro, mid-range, control, I don't care what it is, you need to put interactive spells in your deck. This is the best removal has been in a long time. This cannot be overstated. I mean, maybe everybody, yeah, I saw Sigris responded to you on Twitter with that. <laughs> That's like, touche, well played. Yeah. yeah, very well played. Like the 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 astronaut meme of like, has removal been good? And then the astronaut behind with the gun being like, always has been. But I do think it just cannot be overstated how good removal is in this format. Even medium looking removal, like both like Bushwhack and Epic Confrontation, the green fight spells are both great. I think the line is probably somewhere in... 
what blue and white have to offer. I mean, static net as white's uncommon is is still quite good, I think, because obviously that brings along a rectangle and a little bit of life with it. But the pacifism effect, I'm not sold on. The weak stone subjugation is okay because that can be one mana. The whatever, desynchronized, the five mana, totally lost, put a card on top or bottom, variant scry two, pretty bad. But like black, red, and green get good interaction in droves. Yeah, I like weak stone subjugation more than you. I think prison sentence is where my line is. And even that gets the job done. Like you're probably playing prison sentence in your white decks. You're just not picking it as highly as some of the other removal. But like... Removal that's sometimes clunky or like necessary evil, like Unleash Shell as the deal five for five in red, or Power Stone Fracture as the sack of thing, destroy a creature in black. Those are both excellent cards in the format. Yeah, just very good. And then the premium stuff, like the Disfigures, the Overwhelming Remorses, those are just absurd. And you should go out of your way to include them in your deck, even if you get pushed off of black, you know, via Evolving Wilds or Energy Refractor or whatever. Next up, we get to C, which is colorless. There are a lot of ways to take advantage of colorless cards in the format. I think Power Stones being first and foremost, the most straightforward of like, okay, I have colorless cost requirements and I have these things that can be used to cast them ahead of curve. Rinse, repeat. That's a way to profit. Yeah. They also let you delay the decision in the draft. Like, feels great when your pack one pick one is Phyrexian Processor or Worm Coil Engine or any of the other, you know, very good colorless cards that are running around or even something like taking an elsewhere flask pack one pick one out of a mm-hmm. pack where you get to delay the decision and you know it's going to be a good synergy piece in your deck. Maybe it opens up drafting a corrupt down the road or whatever. But I think the artifacts get some weight early in the draft because of letting you bob and weave. I want to talk about that cycle, or maybe not cycle, but all of those retro artifacts that are sort of in the cheap cantrip slash ramp category, that the line has been between two and three mana for me. Like cards that I thought I would like, like Pristine Talisman or Foundry Inspector, I have found them to be less good because they affect it. Like, I'm not saying they're unplayable, but I've definitely like bumped them down. I think I would have thought like, oh, C plus, B minus, because they're colorless. But at, for three mana, if you care about artifacts and, and reducing colorless costs like that, ideally your three mana thing is making you a power stone. You know, you've got Argothian Opportunist, you've got Excavation Explosion, or you've got Stern Lesson, whatever. And so you're getting multiple things plus that way to ramp. Whereas like the two mana and one mana, the Chromatic Star, Soul Guide Lantern, Icar Wellspring, Flask that you mentioned, I think those are all still pretty nice uh, serviceable pieces to draft. For sure. We've already talked about you're not taking on Earth cards high enough. That's the next bullet point. We've talked about energy refractor and evolving wilds as colorless fixing, having being very high picks. I also want to say that colorless cards with color costs, or maybe they look like secret gold cards, they don't have to be. Levitating statue doesn't have to be a blue-red card. I have definitely played it elsewhere. Transmogrant Altar doesn't have to only go in a black deck, even though it has a black activation as part of the cost. I have definitely played it elsewhere. You know, we've already, we talked about Trench Stalker, the four or five in black. It's like, yeah, that's a blue-black card, but it can go elsewhere. Think about the colorless cards. Obviously, the unearth costs we've talked about like that, but I think trying to see if you can fit those elsewhere in that sort of how can I stretch these colorless cards is going to help you out. Yeah. Next up is engines. Engines aren't plan A in the format, I think for me, but they're an excellent plan, you know, whatever's between tier one and tier 1.5. Like you do take some slight knocks by including engines if, you know, maybe you're on the draw and your opponent has a fast start and you have your engine stuck in your hand. That can definitely happen, but they also absolutely win you the game a large percentage of the time and I think are worth including 
some ways to do things that are engine like even in very aggressive decks. I agree, right? Like that's one of the, I mean, I, I just love black red style decks so much in cube in sets like this where it's so well supported because you can have a plan A of like, oh, I'm an aggressive version of this deck. And I think black red, I've seen a lot of deck techs for, and it's really hard because it can play in so many different spaces of, it, it has its own spectrum of like, you know, are you super low to the ground, hyper aggressive with Goblin Blast Runner and that's your deck's game plan? Or are you much more value rectangle game goes long, accrue a bunch of card advantage type of sacrifice deck? Or are you in the middle with Steel and Sack, whatever? But one of the reasons I like Red Black so much is that it can have multiple plans. You can be like, well, game plan A is aggro, but if the game does go long, I actually have the tools to be able to grind into the mid to late game. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's really cool about the format is if both people subscribe to the rules of engagement, the games do tend to stall out. And Mm -hmm. if you get your engine once the game stalls out, you almost always win the game in that instance. Like, you know, you both play your two drops, you trade, you both play your three drops, you trade, or one of you is playing aggressive cards and the other person's playing removal. Like the games, despite the format feeling very fast, like when one person of the two doesn't subscribe to the rules of engagement the game is over but if, <laughs> but if both people do the games can go really long and there's a lot of cool things that happen in the game yeah for sure so what are some examples of engines to put this in like concrete terms for the listeners so fauna shaman is a rare one in a green for the two two you can pay green tap discard a creature card to search up some other creature out of your library that plus clay revenant and again clay revenant is going to be a recurring theme here yeah uh, the one mana one two that you can pay two in a black to return from your graveyard to your hand you can just repeatedly tutor all of the creatures out of your deck yeah i mean clay revenant plus urza to draw a card and make a power stone every turn or plus altar to make a three three every turn whatever like Ur- clay revenant is a big part of a lot of engines I have had the pleasure so far, Ben, (laughs) of playing multiple decks that are turbo self mill, plus some kind of reanimation or protection, plus Keeper of the Cadence to never deck. So Keeper of the Cadence is four and a blue for a two five, and you can pay three to put target artifact, instant or sorcery from your graveyard on the bottom of your library. I I have operated many turns this week with zero cards in my library. (laughs) <laughs> and without attacking, I've heard. So and without tells attacking. Me. Yeah, yeah. No, attacking is, is for... I don't... Like, I'm a peaceful person. You know me. <laughs> uh, we've alluded to Skyfisher Spider already. That's the black-green signpost on common. As simple as Skyfisher Spider plus a couple copies of Emergency Weld. That's just a, an engine in and of itself. You go, cool, blow up your thing. Skyfisher Spider dies. Get it back with Emergency Weld. Emergency Weld also makes a 1-1. Well, guess what that 1-1's perfect for? Sacrificing to Skyfisher Spider to blow up another permanent. Yeah, for sure. Symmetry Matrix is another one. That's the four mana artifact. And whenever something with equal power and toughness enters the battlefield, you can pay one. That plus tokens or just honestly, it's a very good card, I think, in green white. That's its best home. Mm. But there's a lot of sweet things to do with Symmetry Matrix. And again, I've played with Symmetry Matrix a couple times. And there's times it's stranded in your hand, but for every time it's not stranded in your hand, it probably wins you the game. So there's just like a cost benefit analysis that you've got to do there. And then lastly, as Ben already alluded to, something as simple as Third Path Savant, the three mana two three in blue that has seven draw two cards, or Thraxodemon that pays three to sack an artifact or a creature to draw a card. Once the dust settles and that card's on the battlefield, it doesn't take many turns before you are miles ahead of your opponent. Right. Or just like ways to turn power stones into cards. Yep. And, and stuff as bad as meticulous excavation. The the white enchantment that you can pay two in a white, return a permanent control. Have you done it hand. yet? 
I haven't done it yet, but I had a, an opponent that just owned me with it. And I had another one that was very close to owning me with it. So I, I think, you know, people were coming to my stream last night and saying, well, all these build arounds are traps. And yeah, they're traps if you don't subscribe to the rules of engagement. But if you do subscribe yeah. to the rules of engagement, I don't think they're traps. But the, you, it's just a very strict set of how you have to start the games <laughs> in the format. Right, you can't just like, yeah, that's so true. You can't build your whatever nonsense decks kind of the way that you could in other sets, if that makes sense. Like you're right. You still have to subscribe to the rules of engagement, whether you're aggro or control, whether you're building an engine or have a bomb, like a bomb in your deck doesn't mean you can't draft these low curves and care about interaction and care about colorless, et cetera. You have to engage with the format with the sliced bread mentality. Yes. Which brings us to D draft decks when you don't get the cards. But honestly, when you get the cards, you have to draft decks. I think the easiest way to win in the format is when you get good quality cards, right? S tier bombs and removal, and your deck is greater than the sum of its parts by proxy of the sum of its parts, or each of its parts are so good. Right. If you have a bread deck, that's like step one in the format is just get good right. cards, put good cards in your deck, win. But there's a lot of other ways to win past that surface level obvious thing. Right. You just need to make sure that your deck has a cohesive synergistic plan to get to that step of greater than the sum of its parts. I think the streamlined two-color decks, you know, we thought, I think going into it, like, oh, the signposts, are those going to matter? Are the two-color decks going to matter? They really largely do. They're great, and they don't need rares, and some of them don't even need those signposts on commons. Yeah, I think that is certainly true. Like the the red-green, red-black, you can get decks of all commons that are very potent. Right. I think in Jund specifically, you can get there. In blue-white, honestly, I've, we've both seen very good blue-white soldiers decks. I don't think those can operate strictly with commons, but I don't think it takes much from the uncommons, right? You get the flash, the Zephyr, whatever, the flash 2-1 flyer that can pick up a soldier. You get the a couple of the soldier lords. I think those blue-white aggro soldier decks are real. Yeah. And I think, you know, something as simple as blue-red spells with the third path iconoclast or the white-black cost less than three with the stupid 3-2 gravedigger that gets something else back and then you can gravedig it back and then it gets something <laughs> else back. Like, there's just a lot of grind that goes on there. But again, you've got to have that synergy stuff, plus you've got to have the removal so that you can deal with your opponent's bombs. All right, so that is our contribution to the great acronym space of limited in general with sliced bread. Let's finally, we're now what if we cr crash course. We talked about the set last week, this week, we got it. Got to get a couple picks of a round table. Ben, are you ready to take a seat? Let's do it. All right. So pack one, pick one, no commons really to talk about. I think the best common here in the pack is scrap or cohort. That's the four mana three, one when it enters the battlefield makes a one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token unearth for two and a white moving on to the uncommons. One that has my eye is stopped or mechanic one and a blue for a two, one. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, put a plus and plus one counter on thopter mechanic. And when it dies, you make a one, one colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying. And our rare is pretty busto. Siege Veteran. Two and white for a 2-2 human soldier at the beginning of combat on your turn. Put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Whenever another non-token soldier you control dies, create a 1-1 one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token. This just got moved up to the A tier on our Lords of Limited Power rankings before recording this episode. Yeah, this card is broken. It demands an answer. It is 
not great on the splash, though you can splash it, but taking it here, I think you're, this is one of the few things that makes me go, okay, I think I'm trying to be white. And there, you know, I'm clocking that there's quite a number of soldiers in the pack. There's an air marshal in blue. There's an ambush paratrooper, the flash one, two for two. There's a phalanx vanguard, the two mana two, two Vigi that uh, gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each artifact that enters the battlefield under your control. Like, you know, there's definitely a world where I can wheel something good out of this pack, taking the siege veteran. Yeah. You love to see it. Pack one, pick two. A lot of different options here. So there's an Evolving Wilds and an Energy Refractor, both in the pack. If you see those and you're choosing between them, which are you taking first? Evolving Wilds, I think. Interesting. I'm on Refractor myself. Love that. I would rather have the not having to pay mana for Mm -hmm. the fixing first. And for some reason, the world seems absurdly low on Energy Refractor to me, so I have not had trouble getting copies of it. That might change. My answer might change as people start contesting Refractor. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Uh, I've seen it wheel so many times. Like There have definitely been times where I've been like, all right, I'm taking this card, and then the other two cards in the pack that I like are like this removal spell and Energy Refractor. And then on the wheel, Refractor's still in the pack. Like, okay, great. I'll I'll take it now. Thank you. (laughs) Yep, for sure. There's a Thraxodemon, though I don't think we're taking that. There's a Phalanx Vanguard. Again, the 2-mana 2-2 Vigi. Don't think we're taking that quite yet, given the power of a couple other cards in the pack. At Uncommon, there's a Yoshin Dissident. Green-white for the 1-1 Human Artificer. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. And then I think I just want to jump over to the rare slot. Ashnod Flesh Mechanist. Single black 1-1 one, one with death touch. When it attacks, you can sack another creature. If you do, you make a tapped power stone. And you can pay five to exile a creature from your yard to create a tapped 3-3 three, three colorless zombie artifact creature token. Yeah, Ashnod Flesh Mechanist is very powerful. And I think you're burying the lead here a little bit, naming all these cards. Like, this really? right now is my issue with the format, right? We, we went pack one, pick one, Siege Veteran. You're taking that every single time. Pack one, pick two. You're taking Ashnod every single time here. Like maybe you could make a case for Yoshin Dissident. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think you're always going veteran into Ashnod here. And none of the other cards we've named have ever really seriously been in consideration. That is true, right? We're not taking the colorless cards over Yoshin Dissident or Ashnod. Yeah, that's fair. I think, but that's largely because of how weak white is, right? I think if like Siege Veteran were a red card and Yoshin Dissident were a green red card, I would take Dissident here. Because Siege Veteran is definitely better than Ashnod. But you could also just play Siege Veteran and Ashnod in the same deck and have a great deck. That's true. That's true. Like you're always yeah. taking Ashnod here. It's a they're both single colored cards. I know I'm always taking Ashnod. It's a rare. I I can't pass rares. <laughs> Alright, next pick. This gets a little dicey. I'm not burying the lead here, I think. Is that There's just nothing great in this pack, period. And this might be partially why Ben has a problem with this set. You know, last week we were talking about, I was like, wow, there's not really packs in the set where like in Theros Beyond Death or Dominaria OG, where you get to like pick two or pick three and you're like, what the heck am I supposed to take? But yet here is a pack of those cards. Though I'll shout out a few that I like. One is Might Stone's Animation, three and a blue for the aura. Enchant Artifact, when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and Enchanted Artifact is now a 4-4 in addition to its other types. There's, I kind of want to move this up a little bit. Conscripted Infantry, two in red for the 3-1 human soldier. When it dies, you make a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact creature token. Two rectangles, baby. Two rectangles. There's Argothian Sprite. This card is a house. One in a green, 2-2. Can't be blocked by artifact creatures. And you can pay seven to put two plus and plus one counters on it. The card's ridiculous. And unfortunately, I named a blue card, a red card, and a green card. 
There are no good white or black cards in this pack. I mean, there's an uncommon that's Great Desert Prospector, four and a white for a 3-2. When ETBs, you make a tap Power Stone token for each other creature you control. That card is a house in green-white. It's absurdly broken there. Right. I think had you taken Dissident, then you take Prospector, right? For sure, yes. But I think having taken Ashnod, we're just looking to take the best card out of the pack in a vacuum, which is Argothian Sprite to me. And again, I think this is, there's really one card you're considering here, which is whatever the best card is, because there's no good white or black cards. Don't you have any enjoyment, though? I mean, sure, this will get stale eventually, but don't you have enjoyment of just being like, this, I have identified this card is best, I take best card. No, that's like caveman <laughs> drafting. That is the worst. That's just what I feel from this format in the draft portions. That's what I was trying to say earlier in the episode. Like to me, the draft is this. It's see good card, click good card, put it in my deck. But then somehow still the decks are really sweet and really interesting. And I cannot. That's what I was trying to say earlier. I can't reconcile that in my head. I cannot get over how good caveman drafting is. You just came up with that on the fly. That is perfect for describing <laughs> what you're like. That's the perfect way to encapsulate how you're describing drafting the set. I think I just like I find more satisfaction in that early. I think you're used to solving things earlier or like taking a stance on things earlier, whereas I'm more like feeling things out a little bit. And so to feel so confident in taking our Gothian <laughs> Sprite pick three on day whatever two of the format makes me go. Oh, that's that sounds nice. That's good. <laughs> You're like, no, that's that's terrible. Okay. Pack one pick four. I guess probably another maybe straightforward caveman pick for Ben. First up, we've got Thraxodemon, the one in a black two, two demon, three tap, sack another creature or artifact, draw a card. There's a Gaia's gift as well. Uh, one in a green instant, put a plus plus one counter on target creature you control, gains reach, trample, hexproof, and indestructible until end of turn. And I think Elsewhere Flask also in conversation here is the two mana artifact when an ETBs draw a card and you can sack it to choose a basic land type. Each land you control becomes that type until end of turn. Have you done the thing yet with Corrupt? I have not done the thing yet, but I've had the thing done to me. Mm, of course, classic Ben. <laughs> Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> what do you like out of this pack given that we've got white, we want white card, black card, green card here? Yeah, I think this is our first decision point between Elsewhere Flask and Thraxodemon. You could give me either card and I wouldn't particularly care. I think personally I would land on Elsewhere Flask, but mm. I have no no strong feelings about this pick. Yeah, I went Thraxodemon just trying to get deeper into the sacrifice space slash thinking that like Elsewhere Flask is probably on the bottom of the cantripping two mana artifact rung for me, you know, behind Refractor and, and Wellspring for sure. That and I was also thinking, you know, if I'm still trying to hold on to Siege Veteran in any capacity, my deck probably won't care about flask that much so that's why i landed on the thraxodemon yeah that all makes sense to me for sure cool we'll lay out the rest of this draft uh in our show notes if you want to follow along and see the sweet conclusion of the deck that i end up in spoiler alert there's another color that's my base color that we haven't uh haven't drafted any cards for yet Ooh, i like the tease any uh any final thoughts before we sign off here yeah, I just want to make sure that I was clear at the beginning of the episode because I feel like I was a huge bummer in like the first five minutes and I really do enjoy the format. I just don't think the drafts are particularly interesting and that's the part of magic that I value the most, which I think is why I felt badly about the format. But once I've accepted that, I have been having tons of fun and also been smashing face, which is great. I've been winning a lot, so that doesn't hurt. But I think this format's going to have a lot of depth like on week three or week four. And I think specifically for me, probably with this progression, I'm going to take through the format of trying really hard to win 
and then getting into all the sweet staff of domination stuff. I think there's going to be a lot of things to entertain you deep into the format, assuming that you subscribe to the rules of engagement, because if you don't, you're just going to lose over and over and you're going to hate life. Yes. Could not agree more. And I think there's going to, yeah, there's going to be a lot of fodder for discussion moving forward as, at, at the very least to just be like, Hey, there's a ton of rares. I mean, the retro artifact slot adds a ton more cards to the format and we get to be like, Hey, if you open this card, here's how you can play with it. Here's how you can maximize it if you want to. We have played with this card, so you don't have to. Right. Well, and I also think just figuring out how to build decks is a huge piece of the puzzle, as you alluded to earlier. Like making the picks in the draft is not hard, but putting the right 23 in your deck is. And like us telling you to pick Goblin Blast Runner and that it's a good card only goes so far if you right. don't know how to put the other pieces around Goblin Blast Runner. Like if you hadn't told me about Bitter Reunion, the enchantment, like I don't think I would have seen the Goblin Runner deck. And that was a huge, I don't know that I ever would have gotten there. That was a spicy thing. And when I was doing it, it felt incredible. Yeah, I don't think I would have gotten there either. But yeah, I had four Blast Runners and three Bitter Reunions, I think. And the, the cards are just nuts. They're just so good together. So yeah. So I think diving into what those decks look like and what makes each of the cards better than the sum of its parts is also certainly down the content road for us. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we haven't done that sort of classic outline archetypes episodes in a while. And I think this format will benefit from that for sure. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. If you are interested in signing up for a TCG Player subscription, if you are trying to buy some cards, some Brothers War sealed products, some singles, whatever, Consider heading over to lordsoflimited.com slash TCG player for any of those purchases to let them know that we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet out the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. <laughs>